Well, Merry Christmas. You all can be seated. Uh, my name's Pastor Chris. It's so great to be with you here at Table Life Church on this, this Christmas Eve night. Um, I hope you feel welcome. If, I, if you're a guest or visitor, this is your first time with us, I'm especially glad and honored that you would join us too and our friends also online from many different places. Um, go ahead in the chat. You can go ahead and say hi to everyone. Wish them a Merry Christmas, maybe where you're from. Maybe it's someplace tropical. Like that's like 80 degrees and like sunshine on the beach. I don't know. We make us all feel bad here in central Pennsylvania. But, um, but just welcome to you all. Merry Christmas. And um, I, I want to start off with a question that kind of ties into a series that we've done through the Advent season, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, um, about uh, just a, a topic of Regifting, regifting. I want to ask you the question, have you ever received something that you knew was regifted. Yes? Have any no's in the house? Anybody that's never received anything? Who here is given a gift that was a regift, right? Probably all the hands in the house at some point. If you haven't given the gift, you've given the bag. You know it. You recycle the bags. There's like five bags that get cycled every single year. But, um, but I don't know about you, but there's, there's some things, when you think about it, that are okay to regift. And then there are some things that are not. There are some things that are okay, and then there are some things that's not. And uh, just think about this question. What is something that's a bad idea to re-gift? You can probably come up with a couple of those. And um, to kind of find out for myself what some of those things are, I did a very scientific study via social media to see what the crowds think about that question. And um, would you believe it or not the top, what the top response was? Can anybody guess what the top response was? Monog okay, monograms were up there. We'll get back to that. Underwear, right? Not a good idea. I don't know what that is. Um, underwear was the top item, top response that people said over and over. Other things were monogrammed items. Somebody said that over here. Um, fruitcake. I know Ben, our, one of our worship leaders, he loves fruitcake. You can give him all the fruitcake you can wish. Somebody else said pets. Not a good idea. Somebody's not expecting the puppy, right? You pass that on. Somebody else said COVID. Um, don't re-gift that. Um, how about a gift card that had not been activated? He got that from a student of his. I'm not going to ask any questions about that one. Um, trauma. Um, moving on. Hick Hickory Farms. Um, not something, something else, some other gift basket that was expired from the year before. Um, so keep those in mind for next year. Don't re-gift those things. But, but you think about the flip side, though. There are some common things that we do re-gift, though. There, there's things that we do that are kind of acceptable in the re-gifting uh, department. And some of those things that we have a result of, this is also from online, not my own survey, but somebody else's. Um, would you believe it? The top thing to regift is a candle. You get passed on about 34% uh, of people said they have ever regifted a candle, so be about a third of us. Picture frame, probably not with the picture of the person that first gave it to you, um, unless you broke up or something. Um, beauty gift set, um, pass those on. Candy or chocolates, I don't know who does that, you know. But uh, mug or cup tends to be another thing that goes there. But you look at that list, right? You look at those lists, and what you see are kind of ordinary things, kind of everyday items, things that are kind of considered generic, not extraordinary, unremarkable, things that easily we could dismiss. Um, but on 
that note, did you know that the very first Christmas was exactly that? Would have fit exactly into that category of being ordinary. Being very ordinary, very weird on one hand, but very ordinary on the other. And, and I don't know about you, but we tend to think of Christmas as being so exciting, right? Kids are just like waiting for tomorrow morning. Maybe you're waiting for tonight. Maybe opening gifts. Um, perfection. We try to think that like things are going to be perfect. Uh, we love just pictures of what Christmas could be. Um, we love big and expensive, right? If you have the funds to do so, we have Christmas kind of in that our minds like that. Um, and maybe like you, I don't know I have done this, but maybe like you, like me, um, you have gotten a taste of what I call Christmas Eve envy. Christmas Eve envy, the time when you wake up on Christmas Eve morning to your cat and your bowl of cornflakes and you look out the window and you look on social media and you see everybody else is doing everything so fun and perfect and like so wonderful, right? Or you look at your house, right? You have some like two little lights up and you see the guy down the street. He has like the whole Clark Griswold thing going on. And you're like, why can't that be us? Or you see the family, right? The perfect picture that you get in the Christmas card. They're all smiling and they're beautiful children and whatever. And then you look at like your family you're like, what the? You know, you're like, you're like, you know, you can't help but feel that, right? Everybody else looks amazing, but for you, everything's not amazing. It's just kind of ordinary, maybe even disappointing. Well, did you know what the very first criticism was that Jesus ever received? The very first criticism, he received a lot of them over the course of his life and ministry. But before the Pharisees got mad at him for healing on the Sabbath and breaking rules, before the temple authorities got mad at him for disrupting the peace, before the Sadducees came to him and were angry at him for talking about life after death, before all that happened, his very first criticism recorded in the Gospels came from someone who would actually become one of his disciples. And the very first criticism he received was about his birth. It was about his birth. That Philip, Philip, who would come to follow Jesus, Philip met Jesus and was invited to follow Jesus. And Philip goes and tells his friend Nathaniel about Jesus and says, we found the Messiah we've been waiting for. And Nathaniel, good old Nate, his response is, who is this guy? Who is this guy? The son of Joseph, the carpenter? The carpenter from Nazareth? And then he says the famous words, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words, surely, surely the Son of God, if he were to come, would be more important than that. Uh, the first criticism that Jesus received was basically that he was too ordinary. His birth was too ordinary. I mean, come to think of it, have you ever felt just ordinary? You know, have you ever maybe growing up or maybe even right now, that you're not special, you know, you're not the top of your class, you don't have the best job, everything doesn't seem to be going right, or as you would have thought you would by age whatever. Uh, and whether we'd like to admit it or not, for many of us, like where you're from, how you grew up, who your parents were, like it seems to matter for many of us, and many of us draw conclusions about people based on those things. And you know, there was no difference for Jesus' time. People looked at who your daddy was, very ordinary night. But guess what, folks? In the first century, 2,000 years ago, most people missed Christmas. Most people missed Jesus. Most people dismissed Jesus. Anyone know why? 
Well, the first thing is because Jesus showed up in an ordinary place. Very ordinary place. Imagine, imagine a time, a day, that there was no Christmas. There was only chaos. No Christmas, only chaos in the world. And that was Israel 2,000 years ago. Only chaos. It was, it was basically like a hot mess. Right? You had the Roman authorities that had come in and conquered these people. And they were under Roman rule, and they were taught to follow all the rules and pay taxes to them. Then the, you had the, the Jewish people who had been anticipating a coming Savior, a Messiah, a Son of God, that would come and save them. And guess what? Nothing happened. And the Romans were like, well, I guess that's a screw-up, right? I guess that's not going to happen. I guess you're waiting for something that's never going to take place, right? They laughed at them. They thought it was absolutely crazy. But then Luke tells us, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Cornelius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. Well, Luke starts off the Christmas story giving us a glimpse of what could have been of what could have been, of what should have been. I mean, have you ever been there, right? Have you ever glimpsed a picture of what you could have been, what you wish you were, what you should have been, but it's not? And Luke says, he says, in the days of Emperor Augustus, basically, he's marching a time in history, this was a real dude, and Emperor Augustus, he, we're told of a very important person right off the bat, a location of where the Son of God should have been born, any king should have been born. And we know that 2,000 years ago, in the days of any emperor's life, that important people lived in Rome, and they lived in palaces, and when a king was born, when an aristocratic child was going to be born and be a king, they would, they would, it would be a huge, huge celebration. And to the point that the kingdom, they would hire people, they would hire hundreds of people to be what they called heralds. And these heralds, they would run throughout the cities and they would proclaim the birth of a king, and they'd be paid for it, by the way, paid, paid, paid pretty well. And not only that, but the emperor, to the celebration, would lavish gifts on the people. Like, so you don't have to worry about getting anything for anybody for Christmas, right? You just get gifts, just for the sake of a king being born, to announce the birth of a royal child. That's what should have happened. But it didn't. It didn't, not here. Not here, because Luke shifts the scene, and instead gives us a very disappointing ordinary story. And he continues and mentions this guy and Joseph. Joseph the carpenter? Joseph also went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So, so Jesus, Jesus shows up. The, the Son of God didn't arrive in a major city to major fanfare and in a palace or, or even a religious building. And, and mind you, today, of course, today we love stories and movies and books and all about underdogs. Well, 2,000 years ago, that wasn't the case. You were dismissed if you were an underdog. Nobody would read anything if you were an underdog. So in ancient times, like making this stuff up, like why would you do that in the first place? Because instead, 
Instead, it's like the Messiah today, it's like the Messiah today arriving in Perry County. In Perry County, a nondescript town with a little shack that says King David slept here, having a monument, and then, and not even born at like the Best Western, but in somebody's garage in Perry County. That's what would have been people's reaction to this. Like, what? Right? Like, why did he show up there? Like, we don't think of Jesus as, as showing up in that we think of like grand places. That's where a king should be. Well, this summer, I had the opportunity to intermingle with uh, several pastors in the area from different churches, different denominations and whatnot. We had a couple of like, cookouts down in Wormleysburg, and it was really, really fun. Um, There's a little church there somewhere like 2nd Street that closed I know, a couple years ago. And it's one of our cookouts. Um, they were trying to determine like what to, like they're renovating that church. They're making it like a community space or whatever. And um, one of the things that they uncovered was this portrait of Jesus. And it was like sitting in a back room. And um, it was kind of funny because all the pastors sitting around, like nobody wanted this thing. And I'm like, can I take him home with me? So I decided to take him home. And um, lo and behold, he sat in my passenger seat for uh, several hours as I ran a couple errands around town. Um, there were several drivers that drove up next to me, kind of like looked twice. You know, you would too see like Jesus sitting there. Um, I proceeded to take him to our board meeting here at the church, and we sat him in a little chair next to us. And, um, you know, we were thinking, it was, you know, it's kind of funny at the time and that kind of thing. But as I was reflecting on this, I was wondering, like, you know, we don't really expect Jesus to show up in places that, like, aren't religious. We don't expect him to show up or to be present in some of the daily things of life, these unexpected places. And believe it or not, uh, Jesus is being regifted as we speak. He will be regifted, passed around our Table Life Church board from year to year. So he will show up in various places at various times. Um, but, But just thinking about that, right, makes me wonder, where do we tend to look for God to show up? Where do you tend to look for God to show up? Is it possible that it might be different than what you thought? But I think the second reason, the second reason why so many people miss Jesus was because Jesus showed up in a very ordinary way. I mean, how did he arrive? He was born. He was born. Well, what's different about that, right? I mean, just like every minute in the United States, do you believe that there are 250 people, 250 babies who are born every single minute? So, I mean, the course of the service, like, that's a lot of kids, right? That's a lot of babies. I mean, but it's just like you and me. Like, what's significant about that? It's very ordinary. And not only that, but it was a very disappointing way. There was no little party for this baby. There was no, like, family get-together. There was, like, a rush to get her to a house and then in a garage to have this baby. And believe it or not, it was during tax season. Like, that's bad timing, right? Really bad timing. But Jesus showed up in a very ordinary way, showing us God doesn't expect us to have to go to him, but rather he comes to us. He comes to you. And that makes me wonder, in what way have you been expecting God to show up? What place have you been expecting God to show up? What way have you been expecting God to show up? And maybe, just maybe it's different than what you thought. But the final piece here is that Jesus was missed because Jesus showed up to ordinary people. Not superstars, 
not celebrities, not politicians or rulers. And Luke goes on and says, in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping night, and an angel of the Lord before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which should be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. I mean, you look at the people in the Christmas story. Uh, you look at the characters in Luke's gospel. I, I want to list for you a few. Maybe you can identify some of them in your own life. Um, John the Baptist, the crazy cousin. Maybe you have one. Don't look at them if they're here with you. But maybe you have one. He's the guy who didn't quite get his life together. This was God's messenger who became the herald. Like, what's with that? Then we have Mary. Mary, she's a teenager, and I can't help but think of the Journey song. She's just a small-town girl living in a lonely world. Yeah, 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 she's from up north, right? She's pregnant out of wedlock. Like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Joseph doesn't even get much better than this. Joseph's the artist, right? His parents told him, like, you're never going to make any money doing that, right? You're the, he's the artist, and he drifts into town late and with a pregnant wife, and, and it's a long commute. Like, that's, that's bad news. The shepherds, these are the people working on Christmas Eve. It's horrible. And is this exactly the people that anybody postpartum wants to see? Absolutely not, says every mother in the house, right? You don't want to see anybody after that. And if we didn't know any better, the whole story sounds like a really bad Saturday Night Live skit. But do you see a pattern? You probably have one of these, each and every one in your family, or you know them. But that, that is to whom Jesus Christ the King showed up. It makes you wonder, makes you reflect, it makes you wonder, who have you given up on or written off being used by God? Who have you given up on or stopped praying for or, or stopped thinking about that maybe, just maybe, God could meet them and God could use them? Because these are all ordinary people in ordinary places living ordinary lives, even chaos and disappointment. But suddenly, they're rounded up by God for extraordinary work. See, Luke seems to want his hearers to pick on something interesting about all of this. Because it's not only that, that God wants us to know who came that Jesus came, but how he came, and for whom Jesus came. Of all the ways that God could have entered the world, this is what God chose. And you know what? For you and I, that's great news. It's good news. It's great news because if God came to these people in this way, that tells us something about us. I think the miracle of the incarnation, which means God becoming flesh, is not only that God is here, but that God can poke through the thin veil of our humanity at any time at any place, with anyone. That ordinary moments, small moments, can become holy moments. And I think the hardest thing about Christmas is at some point the heavens close back up. It would be 30 years before we would hear from this baby again. 30 years after the heavens close back up on that Christmas Eve night, God would do something. He'd been working behind the scenes through the life of that child as he grew for 30 years not just to open heaven when we die, though that's a part of it. That he didn't come to start a new religion, but to start a new kingdom. A new way of life. 
inviting us to join him in it, to follow him, to take part in that, to have purpose, to have peace, to have a greater story than just what you thought, not with fanfare, but to live life believing the seeds of the divine are in ordinary areas of your life and possible around any corner, that we wouldn't look at life the same way again and never discount what's possible. To know that you and the people around you are never too far away, are never too far gone, are never too far broken to have any of our lives split apart and open and filled by God. So my question to you on this Christmas Eve, what are you missing? Who or what have you been dismissing? Often we think we need something sensational, but often where God starts is something simple. We look for big, miraculous things and perfect moments, but the actual miracles might be in the small, the ordinary, and the unremarkable. Because the dots do, in fact, connect, that there is a divine story. And at Christmas, we celebrate the fact that the author showed up in it. The ordinary is the proper setting for something great to be born. Most great things usually have small beginnings in ordinary places among ordinary people. My prayer for you this Christmas, that may you believe God can fill your life at any place and at any time.